All right, good morning. Welcome back. I thought about having everyone scooch in real close, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll handle the, the spread out nature of the room here this morning. So today's going to be, it's our final time together, and I've kind of been uh, prepping you, but it's, I've got, I think, enough questions to fill up the time, honestly, but also I'll, maybe I'll uh, kind of warm it up with a question or two that's already been submitted and give you a chance to interact, and then if, you know, if there, if there aren't enough, we can you know, I'll, I'll fill up the time, but uh, ho- hopefully, hopefully we can get a hopefully we can get a, a, a little 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 interaction going on here. Let's go ahead and start with prayer. Uh, God, we do thank you that you are the one that we can cast all our anxiety on because you care for us. And so, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you will equip us. God, encourage us uh, to know that um, Christ's yoke is a good yoke, an easy yoke. And God, that we will gladly and joyfully submit to it. And God, I pray for uh, our ability to help and serve others, that you'll help us do that compassionately and kindly in the way that Christ has dealt with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive into the questions, just kind of a reminder of kind of the overview of what we looked at. is that tough, difficult times will come to everyone, but God promises that he will walk through us, with us, through the difficult times. And so the, the end game is not really to, to treat the pain, but it's, learn to, it's to learn to trust God in the midst of our circumstances at the same time we try to work through very complex, uh, difficult things. So today is uh, basically a roundup, a chance for you to ask questions that you haven't asked. Uh, and one of the questions that has been asked you know, is, what other resources would you point us to? Uh, so one of them, which I've referred to a number of times du- during our time together, is Ed Welch's book on depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. And I told you at the beginning, I would give away a couple copies of this. So I have two copies here for two people. There's one, and uh, if I see another one, two. two. All right, great, sorry. I should have, you know, it's just how, how quick. Yo, you, oh, you, don't, you really don't want it. All right, well, you don't have to take it. Great, sure. So uh, that's a book, and that's probably, I would say, I don't know, maybe most holistic or thorough treatment of this and really helpful. It's not a difficult read, but it's not a short read. So in other words, it's not, you know, it's not highly technical. It's, I mean, from my perspective, very readable, but it's also not something that you can just run through in a day or two. Uh, so that's one, uh, Ed Welch's book on depression. Another one is another, it's the book I gave away at the beginning, Spurgeon's Sorrows, Real Help for Those Suffering from Depression by Zach Eswine. That's really good. And honestly, that's probably uh, a quick one I would go to. It's very, it's super readable, super conversational, and it's relatively quick, even in comparison to the, the book I just gave away. So Spurgeon's Sorrows, one that's been around a long time and is readily, readily available uh, by Martin D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. Uh, so that one is, um, is helpful as well. And another one that is not on depression particularly, but can be helpful with the kind of questions you may run into is Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller, which just kind of looks more broadly at how we deal with suffering uh, biblically. So those would be some resources uh, that you could look through. And if you have questions about any of those in particular, I'm happy to answer those in a second. I'll uh, maybe just kind of prime the pump with a couple of questions here, and then I'll throw it to you if there are further questions related to anything that we've talked about. And if you don't, I just got a list. I'll keep working through. So, but I, but I want to give you an opportunity to interact. And also for the sake of anyone listening, I'll try to repeat what you've asked 
because sometimes what you say doesn't necessarily pick up on the microphone if for anyone who may watch, be watching or may hear it later. Uh, so one question is, can you, can you pray away depression? And that's, that's a, a complex question with a complex answer, which is that prayer should certainly be a part of any spiritual battle. Uh, pray without ceasing. You arm yourself with prayer. And so in terms of anything that we're struggling with, sinful or otherwise, prayer is an important component in that, and it's an important part of a strategy. However, it's not as simple as merely praying. Uh, in fact, if we look at the example of Christ in the garden, maybe his lowest point in Gethsemane, pleading with God to remove the cup that he was about to drink from him, uh, did God take that away? No, he didn't. So if you, if you look at the way, kind of the posture of Christ's prayer there, it was begging, God, please remove this. But then he added a caveat, which was, nevertheless, not, not what I will, but what you will. And so one thing in praying to God, we know that God is, God is able to do anything. So could God remove it? Could God take it away? Absolutely. The question is not whether God is able to, but the question is whether God is willing or what is God's will in this situation. And sometimes we don't know. In Christ's case, thankfully for us, it was not to remove his suffering. It was actually that he would walk through uh, that valley of suffering. And so prayer is an important component, but it's not as simply as merely praying. So I think it's fine if you're in uh, a, a difficult time or a depressed state to pray for God to remove it, but God may or may not remove it. Uh, Paul was another example we looked at in 2 Corinthians 12. We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was, but three times at least he begged God to take that away, and God did not remove that particular trial from him. That being said, I would definitely pray away, try to pray away depression, uh, to cast your anxiety on the Lord. And even if you can't remove the circumstance, you can deal with it in a way that allows God to, uh, to walk through that with you. Second, and a connected question is, is a fail- failure to be healed from depression a lack of faith? And again, you can imagine this isn't a simple uh, yes or no answer. So God is able, certainly. God is not always willing. Now, the difficulty with us is we don't see the good in that. We can't see how that's good. And, and yet God in that is good. Uh, sometimes depression could be a result of sin that we're unwilling to let go. So conviction from the Spirit. And so in that sense, it, you know, it could be a lack of faith. But generally... Failure to be healed from anything isn't due to our lack of faith. It's due to the ways that God is at work in, in, a, in a broken world. And we, and we talk about, I talk about this a lot in my preaching and teaching. We've talked a lot about it here. Kind of the tension between a good God who created a good world, but we live in a world that is broken by sin, and so we see badness around us all the time. And so we're caught in this kind of in-between. Uh, theologians call it the already but not yet. So we've already received the promises of God, but we haven't yet fully received them. He hasn't fully redeemed creation. So in Christ, he speaks as though things are done. You're already glorified, but you haven't yet received uh, your kind of the, the full benefits of that, that glorification. And so that, that's true in terms of our faith. So we can certainly pray, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, the, a seed like mustard seed can move a mountain if God wants to move it. But sometimes God's will is, is different uh, different than our will, and it's very difficult, you know, for us to sort through that. So those are a, a couple I've got, like I said, I've got several more here that we can work through. I thought I'd see if there are uh, any more that you would want to ask before I kind of keep working through through these uh, submitted questions. Any, any questions from you all?
last time I just waited awkwardly longer than you had them, so. Yes, Elliot. That's a great question. Um, how, how do you know the difference between God's purpose in something and if you're doing it to yourself? I, w- I would say one is to be part of a community of faith. So it might be, you know, a husband or wife, someone who can help you, but, you know, may not be someone that close, but someone who can help you discern at some level, uh, you know, what's self-inflicted versus what is the, the sovereign hand of God in ways that you can't see. Uh, sometimes you know that as in, you know, you lose a loved one and it brings on deep grief or anxiety. So it's obvious. Other times it's less obvious. Um, and, you know, my experience in working with people who are struggling with this is it's typically not obvious. Uh, sometimes it is, but often those who are, I'll say, who, who tend to be melancholic or more prone to this, uh, it's not obvious. So at the beginning, we talked about the flow of your life. You know, sometimes it's toward anxiety or fear, or sometimes it's maybe toward pride or overconfidence. And if the flow of life is here, you know, people res- respond to things differently. Uh, so I would say ask other people. Um, secondly, you know, is there anything clearly that God says in his word? So for instance, if a man commits adultery, he loses his family, he experiences grief because of that. Well, at some level, they're, you know, very obvious cause and effect. Often it's not that clear. Um, but, uh, and, you know, pray, pray for wisdom. And then sometimes, you know, it, it's some of both where, you know, you can say in that situation I just mentioned, you can repent, clear your heart before the Lord and for people, but there's still consequences. Um, yeah, it's, it's very difficult uh, to sort through. And the good, the good thing is that those who struggle with this tend to beat themselves and kind of self-inflict, you know, which makes it worse. Um, any, any follow-up question to that? Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, I um, said, you know, sometimes we're our own worst enemy and kind of beating on ourselves. I'm not repeating that for you, but just for anyone who didn't hear. But, um, yeah, absolutely. And that kind of gets to Lloyd-Jones is the one who said you need to preach to yourself, not listen to yourself. And it's really difficult, you know, in the midst of, of that. Sometimes we end up listening to ourselves, but sometimes we need to preach or teach ourselves the truth of God's word. And sometimes that's why it's good to have other voices around us kind of speaking into that. Ron? Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. Yep. For sure. Yeah, isolation feeds, well, any kind of sin, and certainly... Um, depression and anxiety and maybe sense connected to it. <clears throat> uh, I, sometimes when I'm, I, I use terms like uh, you need vulnerability-based trust, so people that you can be vulnerable with safely. Um, and then also we need to be intentionally intrusive into one another's lives. So you kind of got to have permission to do that, but it's kind of ask um, questions, penetrating questions of someone. And, uh, you know, don't do it to someone you don't know uh, because that's, that's just uncomfortable and, you know, there's not that level of relationship. But, but with a few people, it's good to have that level where you can really see how someone's doing and maybe have permission to ask kind of intentionally 
lovingly intrusive questions, not getting up in someone's business, but when you have that relationship uh, with someone. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And um, I saw someone, someone not long ago said something about, you know, when you're young, you assume that jobs are hard to get, friends are easy to get. When you get older, you realize that friends are really hard to, you know, true friends are really hard to come by. And it doesn't mean that there aren't friends available. It just means that as you get older, I think maybe time and access is, is very difficult. So finding a few people to have those trusting relationships is a really big deal um, and very difficult for sure. Right. Right. Yeah, so how do you deal with different personality types in terms of how they respond to things? Well, first you ask God for wisdom. Um, and then I, that, that's, a, that's a good question. And, you know, we tend, to, we tend to offer advice or counsel according to how we would receive it, you know, which can be different. And, um, you know, this... It's a different setting, but First Peter 3 tells husbands to live with their li- wives in an understanding way, to know them. And, and so that kind of gets maybe to Clayton's point, is that when you know someone, you can offer help for them in a, in a way, hopefully, that helps them. But uh, you've certainly experienced this if you're married in a husband-wife relationship or in any other relationship, that you can try that, but ultimately you can't know, you know, what makes that person tick. You know, there's something different. And so I would say be intentionally intrusive, but very gentle. Um, and so I tend to, I'm really, really slow in counseling to make something like a binding authoritative type of input because there's so much in life that is wisdom in, in the kind of according to conscience and discretion. And e- even if you just take uh, parenting styles, let's say, you know, we've got a range of parents that believe, you know, bringing your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that uh, teaching them to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But every, I mean, you take two people in a home, they'll have different styles potentially, but, but you know, within a range of Bible-believing Christians, there'll be a range, you know, f- for how, how you'll approach that. And, um, and so I would say, you know, interacting with one another with, with, with grace, understanding, and, you know, trying to truly know a person, um, but certainly listening, empathy. Uh, sometimes we're, real be- we're better at uh, talking than listening. And I think to be a good friend and maybe to be a good counselor, you've got to listen well. And, uh, you know, that can be a hard skill when someone needs help is to listen to them. And sometimes they won't talk. But, um, yeah, probably wisdom is something I, is a word I'll just come back to again. Ask God for wisdom. Listen and ask God for wisdom. Right. Right. Yeah, um, you know, and to, to truly understand someone's point of view, you, you need empathy. So sympathy is kind of feeling sorry for them. Empathy is trying to, as hard as you can to try to get in their shoes and feel what they're feeling. Um, you know, if they're feeling bad, that may be, not be a place you want to spend too long. But Right. Right, right, yeah, if I were you, those are kind of famous last words, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly one of the hardest things is actually listen to someone and not think merely about what you're going to say. And you, I mean, you, you know people like this. You're in meetings or you're in a conversation with someone and you know they're not listening to you. They're always thinking about the next thing they're going to say because sometimes it may not even be regarding what you're asking about or talking about. But the other thing is, I'm, I'm thinking ironically in a situation like this where I'm trying to think of answers, you know, uh, can, can be a little bit tricky. But that's certainly one of the best things. And sometimes people just need someone to actually listen to them and, and to hear them. And that's, you know, the most encouraging thing. I can be a verbal processor. So sometimes, you know, I'm thinking through something and I don't even need that person to respond. I'm really just kind of working through it verbally. Um, and, and so sometimes, you know, that's what people need is someone who can uh, he actually hear what they're saying or thinking. So that's good. Someone else? All right, I'll, I'll go with another one here. Do you think social media has anything to do with the increase in antidepressant prescriptions over the past few years? I... <laughs> Well, let's say correlation is not necessary causality. So any, any, you know, statistician would tell you that. But I think it's likely. So, you know, an awareness, you know, when it's like everyone's watching and when it's everyone, everyone watching, you know, that certainly leads to increased anxiety. And statistics tell us that particularly in young people, there's, um, especially in teenage girls, they're like just the, the, the rate of anxiety is skyrocketing related to this. Um, I'd say... Social media doesn't cause our sin, but it does reveal certain patterns in our sinful hearts uh, and, and in some ways as it relates to this. And so uh, I've, I've heard some older people say, in fact, Liz and I have said, you know, I'm really glad that when I was in high school and college, social media wasn't a thing because you do a lot of stupid things. And, you know, it's like you capture it for the world to know. And uh, thankfully, you know, those things kind of, there, there was no one recording it forever. Uh, in fact, I was talking with uh, a guy recently in town who was applying for a job, and he was interviewing, and he, he went through this, and then the, after the interview, the, 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 the man interviewing him said, you realize on your Facebook page, you have shots of you mooning someone in college. And I mean, he had no clue. I mean, this is years ago. He had no clue that it was there. And he said, you know, you ought to remove that. And I don't know if he got that job or not, but I mean, in that case, it was nice that the interviewer actually, actually told him. And so I think it is likely that uh, social media is connected at some level to the anxiety uh, that we're experiencing. And so the, the, but the question is, how do we engage with it in a way that is God-glorifying, word-centered, and doesn't control our lives? But, uh, so even though correlation isn't causality, I do think there's, it's likely that there's some level connected to that. And statistics tell us that in young people, that is particularly true. Uh, another question. All right, I'll ask another one. How should a believer, again, this is my question. This is not my question. How should a believer respond when their spouse's depression leads them to caring less about family, contributing to the family, whether that manifests itself in not doing tasks they should do or they try to control the actions of other members of the household? Now, this is really difficult, isn't it? When it hits you, you know, right where you live in the most personal relationships in your family. And I would say the first thing is we often, I mean, in the text we're looking at this morning, we already did in this service, we will in the next, in the early service, we will in the next service. It's real easy for us to fixate on what's unclear and to miss what's really obvious and really clear. And so the first thing I would say is to 
attempt to follow what is really clear. In other words, if you're a husband and your wife is struggling like this, I mean, what does Jesus say? To love her sacrificially like Christ loved the church. And so it may be really difficult to see that in that moment, but to die to yourself, um, to love her, and to wives, uh, to follow your husbands, even when it seems like he's not worth following. Uh, and, and sometimes we're really not, you know, that's just, but, but God's word is clear. And so to the extent that you can, try to follow what is clear in God's word rather than what is unclear. Uh, a second thing is to recognize that this could ironically be one of God's gifts to you and your sanctification. Uh, it's, it could be very difficult, but it could be for making you more like Christ. It could teach you to make, make you more compassionate toward other people. It could teach you how to help people who you wouldn't know how to help otherwise, to speak truth to people in ways that um, no one else can. Um, and then also, sometimes you have to be willing to ask for help for that person if they're not in a place to ask for the help themselves. Now, this is difficult because often, um, I'll say this, typically it works, especially in a family relationship, I'll say in a marriage relationship, typically, not always, typically the wife is quicker to want to get counsel than the husband. But I have seen it also in the reverse where the husband's like, let's go get help, and the wife's like, no. Um, and so that can be very difficult if, if one of you says, hey, we need help, and the other one says, no, I don't need help. Uh, but beyond that, sometimes uh, you may be in a position to help them when they can't. Um, so I've had situations where things were worsening, and so one spouse reached out and said, you know, we're at a point where something is going to break, and, and, you know, if we don't get intervention, and so have asked for help before that happened, um, and so sometimes you can be willing to ask for help, and sometimes you can ask for acceptable help even if it's, not the, if it's not the real help that you need. So, you know, you can't share maybe the deepest burdens, but you can help that person uh, get help. But certainly when it hits us, you know, in our closest family relationships, it is uh, very different. Connected question to that. When you're married to a person who deals with depression, how open are you allowed to be about their struggles to others? And... You know, that's, that's difficult because certainly your, your most committed, your covenant relationship is to that person, and yet you may be, um, you may need help. And so I would say be as open as you can be in a way that affirms or builds up your spouse. So in other words, don't be fake or pretend. A lot of times we interact in a way that actually harms that person in the midst of their, uh, in the midst of their difficulty. So be as open as you can in a way that affirms that person so don't embarrass him or her, but don't needlessly uh, cover up. All right, uh, other questions from you? Ian. Yes. Right. Right. Now, how do we know if we're being overprescribed or overmedicated? <laughs> First, you know, this is not going to shock you. Pray for wisdom. Um, but I also think if this is where having a community of believers around you is helpful. So other people that you can talk to, as in, you know, so the medical professional you're talking to, they have an agenda. And it doesn't mean it's an evil agenda, but they have a way that they're looking at this and a way that they can deal with this, which is not holistic typically. 
Um, just, just like a pastor can't prescribe uh, medication, that person typically isn't in a position to serve your soul in the same way that a spiritual or biblical counselor could. Um, and so I would say, first, pray for wisdom. Secondly, don't ever, like, typically we get into a, a spot where we assume and, you know, it just becomes kind of the status quo and, and, we're, and we're locked in. Um, and, and then, you know, ask other people to speak into your life to help you prayerfully evaluate it. Um, you know, I don't, there's, there's not a, a one-size-fits-all answer. You know, the statistic that we read last week that two-thirds of the people that are prescribed this kind of medication don't actually have symptoms that, that meet the qualifications for needing that medication. And so, like, we never believe we're the exception, but it just means that two-thirds of the people on anti-anxiety or antidepressants um, don't need the medication that they're on, medically speaking. And that's, that's and how do you know if you're the one-third or the two-thirds? That's very difficult. You know, I don't, I don't know other than um, praying for wisdom and asking people, you know, to speak into your life. Um, and I, I know people who have gone through this and who have, I'll say, come off medication, you know, if they've prayerfully evaluated it. Other people who have kind of, um, you know, almost like nicotine patches kind of weaned themselves back a little bit. And then, um, and then other people who realize, you know, they weren't in a place to um, totally divest themselves of it. It's... Uh, the difficult thing is not a one-size-fits-all, just like, I don't know, parenting kids, very complex, very difficult. You know, some kids, you can speak directly, and other kids, it's like you crush them, you know, unintentionally when you do that, and um, yeah, it's very difficult. Do you have a follow-up to that, or? Right. 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 Well, they're they're trained to look at it a particular way, and I don't mean this to be disparaging. I'm I'm generally I'm a pro doctor guy, as in I'm not like. I have friends who are like, you know, doctors, the last resort. I don't feel that way about life. I'm thankful for them. And I generally, you know, I'm thankful for, for drugs when they alleviate the symptoms that I'm experiencing when I'm sick. But I also think, you know, they have a perspective. And, uh, and especially if they, uh, if they don't know the Lord, you know, they, they aren't in a position to address it in a way where it's, it's, it's a complex issue. They have kind of a binary. Or a, a it can be very difficult, for sure. Yeah. Like the teachers, teachers on their phone on Sunday that they won't let their kids have the, uh, their phone in their classroom on Monday, right? <laughs> uh, here's another question. How can you tell the difference between when someone is depressed and when they're lazy? Can the two overlap? Is it wrong to confront someone who appears to be lazy if they seem to be using depression as an excuse for not doing what's expected? How should you address this issue in a way that doesn't further damage a depressed person? That's a great question, isn't it? Because sometimes our depression can lead to laziness. 
And uh, the difficult thing with this is that what's at the heart of laziness? At some level, selfishness. An, an unwillingness to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of serving others. And this can also be the root of sinful depression. So not every depression is sinful, but selfishness can be at the root of sinful uh, depression as well. So how do you do this? Well, the difficulty is the two can overlap. And so, you know, you can kind of scream at someone who needs to be encouraged or encourage someone that you ought to be confronting. And so it can be difficult. Uh, So again, I would say pray for wisdom and also pray for uh, the courage to confront and to lovingly confront. And kind of on the back side of that is that sometimes if you're in a situation like this where you're dealing with someone who is frequently uh, depressed and lazy, non-functioning, that you also are going to get frustrated and sin against that person. So it's real easy to see their laziness, but you also need to be willing to repent um, when you mess up. And so I would say love them, confront them, repent when you mess up, forgive them. Love them, confront, repent, forgive. Love, confront, repent, forgive. And... Uh, probably do that a lot over and over. Uh, My anxiety stems from guilt, both real and imagined. Easy question. I think that's sarcastic. Uh, How do you distinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit from the accusations of the evil one? If the devil is the accuser of our souls, but also God's Spirit convicts us. So first, pray for wisdom. Something uh, we hear a lot. And second is be honest about sin. And, And maybe even you know, bring someone else into this. Be honest. You know, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. You know, is this my fault or is this something else? And then to view repentant sin like God does. In other words, when you repent of it, I mean, First John 1, 9 says that he forgives us our sin and, and it's done. And we're, we're uh, Satan's the great accuser. We're like little echoes of Satan, aren't we? Uh, we keep bringing up the same thing. And yet God says that he deals with it um, Psalm 103 says that he removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. And so um, get input from other people that you trust. And so at some level, I mean, those are things a lot. Pray for wisdom and involve others. Uh, I mean, uh, as Pastor Ron said, I mean, sin loves isolation. We love operating on our own. I mean, it's true of any kind of addiction. It's true of any kind of personal sin. It's certainly true of a sin like this uh, when we struggle with anxiety or depression that it it thrives in isolation, and it wilts in, in the light of, of relationships. Uh, uh, other, maybe uh, we've got time for a couple more questions. I'll... Yep, that's good. I'll also add as a caveat to that, not probably in here generationally, not as much, but in younger generations, I was kind of seeing an overcorrection to that where it's like authenticity is telling everyone about everything that you've ever done, which can be uncomfortable, particularly in like, I don't know, mixed small groups or something like that, where people, uh, you know, sin that's best dealt with and should be dealt with in a relationship maybe ought not to be dealt with, you know, with equal knowledge of everyone, you know, involved. Someone, what about someone whose depression is related to alcoholism? Well, sometimes it's hard to know which is the cart and which is the horse, um, as in, are they medicating depression or is the depression coming from the alcohol? Uh, and so I would, I would say, like anything else, pray for wisdom, try to understand the root causes. So sometimes alcoholism can lead to depression or sometimes our depression can drive us to substance abuse. Um, 
and, and to get help. And as I'm sure you know, you know, it's typically not something, sometimes you can drop it cold turkey, but sometimes you can't. It's more dangerous. It can kill you or kill someone you know, you know, to, to, to drop it that suddenly. But to work, to pray for wisdom, to work through it in the community of faith, so find people who will speak truth and love you through it and, and walk with you through it and recognize it's a lot messier than it is, you know, binary. It's just like sometimes people have, you know, heart changes and changes of life that are just that quick. And praise God for when that happens. Uh, but other times they're just long and messy and, and, and difficult, and that requires patience, love, and wisdom that's, um, that's hard. Debbie. Great question. Um, how do we, as a church, become a place where people are helped, can help each other, and where people who have walked through similar stages of life? And one thing that we keep saying over and over again is that the nature of this is that you feel it loves isolation, and sometimes you feel more isolated even than you are. Sometimes there are people around us who are willing to help, but you know we're we feel judged, and so we don't ask for help. And Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly a culture of grace, the people who understand that we're all sinners, and that person's sin may not be ours, and so, you know, we're quick to judge. We're, we tend to be, you know, easy on ourselves and hard on others when the gospel teaches us, you know, how, like Paul said, he's the chief of sinners, so to be have a big view of our own sin and a small view of someone else, kind of like the, the beam sticking out of our eye and the speck in someone else's eye. We tend to see the, the speck and think it's a beam. Um, so I think that's true. And I think also you're right, sharing with, with trusted, trusted friends. Uh, Ron? <laughs> that's good. I'll add to that that in our last community in Rockford, I had conversations like this all the time where not just pe- people in our church, other pastors looking for a resource like this. It's a gift to our community to have a counseling center like this here. The closest one to us was 50 minutes away, and it was you know, difficult for people to, 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 to tap into that or reach out to that. So I'm, su- I'm super thankful that we have that here um, in our community. But the vine is the spiritual life of the church and how it grows. And uh, just one one observation, this isn't what, you know, we came here to talk about, but one observation about the life of our church is we're really, 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 really busy as people, and our church culture is really, 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 really busy. And so are we creating the space and the time for the kind of, the kind of relationships and the kind of spiritual growth and the kind of uh, one-anothering, you know, that we see in the New Testament? Sometimes we can get so busy that we don't, we don't kind of create the space for that to happen. And so kind of, um, it c- kind of creating a culture that allows uh, the, the vine to grow along with the trellis. And kind of, you know, one observation is that, you know, the, that the tendency of all of our lives is toward more complexity and more busyness. And sometimes we have to intentionally say, you know, as a, as a family, okay, we need, we need to dial back and take time as a family. And, and also just as individuals and as churches and relationships, how do we build these kind of meaningful relationships? Because they take time. And, uh, you know, and that, that's a commitment that we all, we all have to make. And especially, you know, I mean, it's not just in the church, but our, our culture is busy. You know, it used to be that you left work and they couldn't get a hold of you, you know, but now it's like all the time, multiple sets of notifications. We have to fight, fight that flow, the flow toward 
complexity and busyness to allow, you know, the Spirit to have the space to create these things in our lives. Well, it's really fruitful, and also, thank, I mean, for the, for the input today, it's been really helpful as well. Yes, Linda? So the depression list, the alcoholic list, the <laughs> make him wear a badge. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sure. Oh, to help. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. That's good. Yep, yep. So an internal list. Yeah, okay, I misunderstood you. <laughs> I don't know if everyone will sign up for that list, but... <laughs> right. Right. Yep, that's good. Yep, that's a good idea. All right, Steve, last one, really last one. I'm sorry, I, it's with this uh, water right here, I can't quite hear you. Yeah, well, when you reach the end of your rope, you know, it's a difficult place to be. And so the first thing I want to say is that there is always hope in Christ and that God's mercies are new every morning. You know, we're not like the Catholics. We don't believe in the unforgivable sin. Um, and so God's grace is always more than sufficient for our sin and also for our weakness. And so I would say to, to trust God's word, to cling to the promises of God. Um, secondly, to not assume that, that you're okay, but would to be to get help that can be some sort of ongoing help. Um, if you're on medication and you're at the end of the rope, I would say that is not a time probably to evaluate today whether you should just cold turkey stop that medication. That may be something that in a process um, with uh, a, a community of faith and with good, with good Christian counselors that you look at, but that wouldn't be something I would say, that, that wouldn't be first on my list. Um, and, and would be, begin to try to understand not, so what your experience is kind of the, the tail end of a, a series of events that have led you there is to try to uh, help Someone work your way back. Sometimes counselors call it peeling an onion. You get layers of the onion, and maybe those layers make you cry, but somewhere down in there, there's, you know, you got to get to the heart, heart of the matter. And, um, and, and so, but definitely not walk through it alone, but to find someone or someone's trusted, you know, that, you, that can help you walk through it. And I would say as, as a church, we would want to be a church culture that would help people that way. And I'll say as pastors and as staff, we would want to, and I'll, I mean, since I've come, you know, we not only have as a staff um, help people, we've also, we've, when we have sent people, we've um, to uh, the Low Country, the, the counseling center or other counselors, because sometimes with time commitments or there are professional issues that there are other people, uh, you know, you can be a generalist, that's not the same as a specialist. And so sometimes um, getting that specialist help can be uh, really helpful as well. Um, but I would say as a, as a church, we would want to do whatever we could to be a part of that, to help that. You know, we think those things happen best in the church, but that doesn't mean that they happen only in the church. And sometimes, um, 
non nonprofits or you know other kind of specialist organizations can help with that. But um, our our, deso our desire would and our commitment would be to do whatever we can to help, and then also you know to pray for the Spirit's intervention. But I would say don't walk through it alone. To believe there's hope in Christ, and um, and 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 to reach out to people for help can certainly be us as a as a church as a staff or if there are trusted people here, but we would, you know, certainly want to get that person the help that they need, whatever that is. It's a very difficult, it's a very difficult and lonely place to be, and I would say to someone in that place, if you're at the end of the rope, to, to know that there is hope, to know that God knows what that's like. Jesus has been tempted in every point, just like we are, yet without sin, but he did that, so as a high priest, he can sympathize with our weakness. He knows what it is to walk through, but he also made the way uh, through his sacrifice uh, for us uh, to follow him. And he's given us power, Romans 6 says, over sin that, um, that we have through faith in him that isn't ours apart from him. Uh, but, but certainly, you know, if, if, if someone is in that situation, we would want to do everything that we could to help that person. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, it is. I mean, sometimes it just feels easier to end it. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, we do thank you that you know our frame. You remember that we are dust. You have compassion on us uh, like a father has compassion on his children. And God, I thank you that when we don't know what to pray for, that your spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And so, God, sometimes our pain feels too deep to express. So, God, I pray that you will give us hope first in Christ, confidence in your spirit, God, I pray that you will help us not uh, fight these things on our own or in isolation, but with the power of your spirit and in the community of believers uh, through our local church and through other uh, help and access available to us. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Encourage them in your power, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. <laughs>